This season on My Comic Shop History, we took you behind the scenes of comic conventions with the organizers, pulled up a chair next to the creators in Artist Alley, hunted for grails with the collectors, donned a costume with the cosplayers, and ate breakfast with the retailers. We recounted tales from shows big and small, from coast to coast, as we explored the ever-expanding world of comic conventions. And now, the season finale of My Comic Shop History. This episode is brought to you in part by a family of film festivals, the Brightside Tavern Film Festival in Jersey City in March, the Point Lookout Film Festival on Long Island in April, and the Hang On To Your Shorts Film Festival in Asbury Park in May. Find them all on Film Freeway, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Visit iTunes or a shareduniverse.com to tune into the official Hang On To Your Shorts podcast. I hope you'll check out these festivals. Welcome to the season finale of My Comic Shop History. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. It's time to take one last lap around the convention floor. My guest for this episode is more than a vendor. He is a true road warrior who seems to attend a convention every weekend. I'm pleased to welcome back to the show, Undiscover Realm owner, Chris Wilcock. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Season finale. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. This is it's a been coveted. A while. This is a coveted guest spot. People were, you know, beating down the doors <laughs> oh, to get on this episode, I, and I was like, "No, it's got to be Chris." I appreciate it. It's been a little while. I feel rusty, so hopefully, I do a good job. You know, it's been a long season because you were on with Delando yeah. very early on. We talked about C two E two. That was back in April. Yeah, yeah, it feels like another life. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while, but I wanted to bring you back and get more in depth and really talk about your experiences as a vendor at at all of these shows. Can you just give me a number? In a year, I mean, how many shows are you attending as a vendor? Um, it, it varies year to year. I, I, I think our peak was like 35 or 36, which is a lot. You know, like it doesn't, it feels like a lot, but when you see it like in a list, you're like, holy crap. Um, I think we, I don't know what we did this year. It was probably around 30-ish, give or take. We definitely cut a couple back, but we added a couple. So I don't, I don't know where we're at. I, one of my goals for next year is to like refine it just a little more. I think like. 25 is probably the sweet spot, even though that's half the year, but at least it gives you some breaks, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, you know, it's funny because I know you're used to it, right? And so you're, you know, the number, it is what it is to you. But to me, and I'm sure to a lot of our listeners, that's a staggering number, 30 something out of 52 weeks of a year. That's, that's when, when you think about it like that, where you're like, (laughs) whoa, hold on a second. I've I've been gone like every week of the year. And you know, that like once you factor in holidays and stuff like that, like it doesn't leave you with much, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm excited because we only have like two shows left for the, until March actually. So it's wow. almost over and then we get a nice break through the winter. So as we were recording this a few days ago, you were in Rhode Island yeah. for a show. When you're grinding it out all weekend and then you get home, like you finally get home, what, yeah. what is your routine? What are the first things you do to decompress from one of these shows? And I, again, I'm sure it's probably different depending on how intense and how big the show is. But like generally speaking, do you have a, a go-to routine? No, you know, uh, usually if we don't have another show the next weekend, you have a little more time to decompress a little bit. So like Monday, both of the stores are closed, which is nice. So usually if it's within like four hours or so, we'll drive home Sunday night. So that's what we did for this one. We got home at like three or four in the morning and, uh, so you kind of just sit there and like, you know, I see my dog, I pet her, you know, take care of, check the mail, you know, just normal things. And then you kind of just, you're just happy to sleep in for a little bit the next day. If I can, I love to go get like a massage the next day, but uh, not every show, but if, if I can, because my back just starts to kill me after a while. So that's like my, uh, treat myself type thing. But, um, 
yeah, I don't know. I just kind of zone out and just catch up on life a little bit because people don't realize like even though you're, you're you're gone for the show for three days, but then the day before you're setting up, maybe the day before that you're traveling, um, and then the day before that you're restocking and loading the van. So it's not it, it ends up being like a five six day process, you know, and oh. that's even for one of the smaller shows, you know, something yeah. like New York Comic Con, you're talking about weeks. So yeah, it's it's weird, you know, but it's nice to just kind of sit there and stare at a wall. No, I can imagine. Well, you know, when you mentioned the the restocking in the van, so I promised I was going to do this, and I did. <laughs> the other night, I spent probably more time than I should have scrolling through months worth yeah, of sorry. your Facebook I, I posts. Yeah, I post a lot, so that was probably a lot of work, <laughs> so I'm sorry. It felt kind of creepy. I'm like, I feel like I'm stalking this guy. <laughs> but I, I said I was going to do that because you do post a lot, and you really, you chronicle everything. It's kind of cool. I dig it. You know, like, I don't do it, like, uh, consciously, like, oh, I'm going to post. It's just, I think it, I don't know. I never really thought about it a lot. It's just something I do. Uh, but, like, I think, like, in a way, it is nice to chronicle it in a way. Because, like, especially with, like, things like, I don't know if you're familiar, there's an app called TimeHop. And it shows you all your posts from a year ago, two years yeah. ago, three. So it's kind of cool to see what you were doing a year ago and relive some of these things. So I like it for that. And sometimes it's just, like, a good venting, I guess. But I, I don't really think about it. It's just something I do. But. So I apologize if I post too much, but... Uh. No, it's, it's good <laughs> stuff, and it, it's given us material for this yeah, episode, which go. we'll get into in a minute. But, you know, it's funny, like on Facebook, that you know, the Facebook memories, mm -hmm. right? So they show you what you posted, you know, uh, yeah, on that day, thing, yeah. right? And it's funny, because when I look at that stuff, I see, I see you know, how my, my life has changed, and, and how, like, all, most of my posts during college were just about TV. It was like, oh, watching Prison Break tonight. <laughs> and then during law school, it was pretty much just complaining about law school. <laughs> And now it's just the shameless self-promotion constantly with all this stuff. But it's it's funny, and especially looking back at that the TV posts in particular, I'm like, man, my problems were small back then. It's yeah, like <laughs> you know, they seem. Like, but that's but that's what's cool about it. And if you didn't post about these things, you would have no idea. You just kind of like lose. You, you get lost, you know. I know. So it is really cool to look back, and that's one of the main things I like about it. So yeah, well, no, I, I thank you for posting as much as you do because, like I said, I I, I, I screenshotted a bunch of stuff. <laughs> Sweet. And uh, again, I think we can use that as a jumping off yeah, point because yeah. certain themes emerged. So we can talk about that. Before we really dive in, uh, if, if you'll help me out here, I have a little, it's the season finale, yeah. right? It's so a little bit of housekeeping and some announcements about the future of the show. We want people to know this, this good stuff here. Of course. So as we get to the end of every season, I always like to give some shout outs, thank people who help make this possible. So as always, my Australian guardian angel, Dan Pritchard, he does the theme music for all of the podcasts. So we want to thank him. You know, I haven't hit him up yet for music for next season. And I'm kind of thinking of going in a slightly different direction. Our mutual friend, Ralph Puma, yeah. he and his, his wife-to-be are in a band uh, out of Nashville. Cool, yeah, yeah. I Rosewood see them Rebels. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, Rosewood Rebels. And they have a couple of songs out now. I know they're working on more. And I'm kind of thinking of, of taking it back to the first season of my comic shop history when I had a Ralph Puma song at the beginning and end yeah, of every cool. episode. Uh, so we might do something like that. We might give Dan a little break uh, and incorporate music a little bit more next season. I'm kind of toying with that idea. Uh, but we want to thank Dan uh, for the music that he contributed uh, to this season. Uh, really do appreciate it. Of course, the guests, I mean, everyone who, who came on the show, um, you know, it feels... When I say this, I'm like, I hope people don't think I'm disingenuous. I mean it sincerely. Like, I really enjoy talking to everybody. And it's the sort of thing where the show's been going on long enough now. A lot of the people who have been on it have been on before. So I, I know that yeah. I'm going to have a good conversation. And any new guest I've either met or they at least come very highly recommended from someone I trust. So by the time we get to the recordings, you know, thankfully, it's, it's worked out very nicely where we've had great chats. So I really want to thank everyone who's been part of the show. And of course, everyone who's listened, everyone who's liked, commented, shared, rated, reviewed, like all that stuff 
really, really helps a lot. So I want to thank everyone. Our sponsors, you're one of them. Hey. So I want to thank you for your support. Uh, we also have our family of film festivals, uh, Brightside Tavern, Hang On To Your Shorts, and Point Lookout Film Festival. Uh, we want to thank them as well for their support. I recently started developing a new form of sponsorship. I've only gotten a couple nibbles on this so far, but I, hopefully it, it'll, it'll be something that grows. I know from firsthand experience, you know, a lot of comic shops, it's hard for them to lay out money, sure, like yeah. cash money, for a commercial on a podcast. So the idea that I had was that if stores are interested, they can contribute graphic novels, both for, for my own just personal reading, but also for potential uh, book club podcasts. So I've got a little bit of interest uh, on that front. So if you're listening to this and you're a shop owner or employee or a customer and you want to bring this to the attention of your shop, uh, I really hope uh, you'll take me up on it because yeah, I think it's a, a great way. It is a good idea. Yeah, right? I think it makes sense. Yeah, everybody wins. Exactly. That's the plan. So we'll see. And, of course, my wife, Stephanie. So, uh, like, literally right now as we are recording in uh, our apartment, she has been displaced from the living room. So <laughs> <laughs> I thank her, uh, not just for, for giving me the space, but also uh, for hearing me talk about this more than anyone should ever have to. And, I mean, when we talk more about my comic shop country down the line, uh, you know, I'll be talking more about her contributions to that. But it was really invaluable having her on the road with me filming. I mean, it, it made a world of difference. Yeah, and not being mad that you're doing it or gone. I mean, that makes all the difference. Yeah, I don't Lucky. know. Yeah, I don't know how I, I would, would be able to do it otherwise. So those are our thanks, uh, you know, for, for, the, for this season, season four of my comic shop history. I think the time has come to announce the theme for season five. Ooh. Now, I've given you a little, a little hint of this, but uh, I'll lay it out for you more now and for listeners. I'm very excited about this. So I had a couple of ideas for different directions to go in. And... Like, whenever I've been stumped, I always go back to the title of the show, right? My comic shop history. So, as you know, and regular listeners know, you know, Alternate Realities was the Westchester comic shop where I spent the most of my time sure, and yeah. was the most formative for me. And we've talked about it a lot. But, you know, Alternate Realities was not the only Westchester comic shop that was a part of my comic shop history. There were a number of other area stores that I went to. Some I just went to occasionally. Others I went to quite regularly. And... I've never fully explored them on the show, and so that will be the theme for next season, my county's comic oh, shop that's history. That's pretty awesome. And you know, I've lived in Westchester my whole life, as have yeah, you, correct? Yeah, yep. And the idea for this season is to, to try to tell the story of Westchester through its comic shops. And one of the interesting slash sad things that I guess I realized as I was thinking about these stores, they're all gone. You know, and I'm and when I'm talking Westchester stores, I'm talking like these key quintessential stores: Comic Book Heaven, Dragon's Den, yeah. which I know is huge for you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, both the West, the Central Avenue location, and and Cross County, there were, there were a couple. One if by cards, two if by comics. Now that still exists as American Legends, yeah. but it doesn't exist in the in the form that it did no, previously. No, definitely not. And of course, Heroes World, uh, yeah. the, the the store that was the beginning for me. I would be so interested in hearing more about Heroes World because I have like the faintest of memories of going there and buying toys when I was like a very little kid. So it'd be cool. I don't know anything about it, honestly. Heroes World actually has a, an interesting history, which we'll get into because not only was it a chain of stores, but they were also a distributor. Oh, wow. And they were part of a, a very interesting, shall we say, <laughs> period uh, in Marvel Comics history um, where Marvel bought them and they were their sole distributor. Oh, wow. It I led to a lot of, of issues. Idea. Wow. So we're going to get into that. So I'm really excited oh, this, about this. This could be like really, really cool. I think so. It will be really, really cool, actually. <laughs> and the thing, too, is, you know, there will... Oh, so kind of on this note, and for people who are familiar with the store, you'll know who I'm talking about. And Chris, of course, I know you know. 
the former manager of Comic Book Heaven was a gentleman named Bishop. Uh, he he legally changed his name to Bishop because he was such a fan of the X Men character. I tracked him down. He also looks exactly like Bishop for for you know. He to does. Be fair. But I tracked him down, and he's going to be on an episode. So Sweet. I'm excited about this. So Inclusive. my county's comic shop history, it's going to be 10 bi-weekly episodes. So slightly, slightly shorter season than we've been doing. 10 bi-weekly episodes starting early May. And I'm really excited about this. And like I said, kind of the, telling the story of Westchester through the stores, because even, even if you just talk about the malls, right? Heroes World was in the Galleria. Yeah. That's changed. We have the Westchester now. There's the Cross County, forget it. Cross, I, I lived in that mall, and you can't even recognize it. Yeah. So I think, you know, for people who know Westchester, I think they'll get a lot out of it. But if you don't, I mean, this is really going to give you, my, my goal at least, is really a, a, a clear view of what the Westchester comic scene had been and, and how it's changed. Yeah. Plus, you're going to get like, even if you're not from here and you don't care, like you're going to get great stories from the inside, you know, especially during a really interesting time. Like this is, you know, like the 90s and early 2000s where things were crazy, you know? Right. So, uh, so that's the goal. And, you know, there will be, like I said, you know, Bishop, he was a manager at the mm. store, so we'll have him on. Uh, I lined up the owners, that's a husband and wife team who own American Legends, which is what one of my cards is now. Uh, so they'll be on it. So you will get that behind the counter perspective that we've had on the show before. But kind of my goal with this is to expand a bit and not have it be necessarily so business focused because we've done a lot of that and i really want to talk about what these stores meant to those of us who shop there like again heroes world was huge for me like dragon's den was for you so of course i've already invited you to be a guest on the dragon's den episode be awesome uh but like that's the kind of stuff that i want to get into so uh i am very excited about that so that'll be starting in uh may 2019 awesome yeah i'm excited to hear it Uh, it's gonna be great and as far as you know what else is going on within the world of the flat squirrel podcast network um, you know, this season I started the My Comic Shop History Patreon page. And first and foremost, I want to thank everyone who has already signed up for that. I want to give a shout out to our newest VIP patron, Jason Slade. Uh, so thank you, Jason, and, and everyone who is who has pledged. If you haven't signed up yet, you know, I've been mentioning it in all of these episodes. <laughs> if you haven't signed up yet, you know, it's like, I get it, right? We're all subscribed to so many things already. People are used to podcasts being free. There's a lot of content I know people are just trying to catch up on already. So the prospect of signing up for something else, you know, might not be something that you're looking to do at the moment. And if that's the case, I understand. But what I would ask, if you're a regular listener of this show, if you've been following, if, if you like the show, you like what I do, just check out the Patreon page. Uh, I hosted a retailer panel at C2E2 back in April. I recorded it. I put that up on the Patreon page for free. So you can just go there and listen to it. You don't have to sign up or do anything. Um, but I really encourage you to just go there, patreon.com slash history. Check out the free episode. Take a look at some of the uh, exclusive podcasts that are available. Uh, and if it's something that you think you'd be interested in, I really would appreciate a pledge of any amount. Uh, any level from a dollar and up uh, gets you some, some form of exclusive podcast. So anything that you pledge is going to get you something. And every pledge just helps me be able to continue to to make this show. So, you know, there are a number of expenses that are, are related to the show. Uh, I'm obviously paying to host the, sh- the media files online. You know, we're doing this recording in my apartment, but there are plenty where, uh, you know, I am, you know, paying for gas and tolls and all that of stuff course. to go places. Um, the equipment itself, I mean, I've laid out a lot of money over the years. Uh, and that's to say nothing of the time, which I don't think I could ever <laughs> quantify. It's a labor of love. <laughs> it is a labor of love, and I love doing it. And, you know, this is something I've taken upon myself. So it's not like I necessarily feel entitled to anything. But, again, any amount oh, that anyone is willing to pledge really does help. And, again, you're, you're getting extra content. 
And that's sort of the goal moving forward, right? So the main seasons of My Comic Shop History, they'll continue to be free. You can get them on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Podomatic. That will continue. But the goal with Patreon is that if you're a member, you'll have additional exclusive content year-round. So if you like listening to this show, you're not limited to just the seasons anymore. You're going to have year-round content. So uh, just as an example, we're, we're recording the finale right now. Uh, once we're done here, uh, you can listen to the after show for this episode where Chris and I keep talking. Uh, so that's going to be available right now. In a couple of weeks on December 12th, I will be, will be releasing a Patreon-exclusive epilogue to the season. Uh, and I'm really excited about this. My guest is going to be Archie Comics president Mike Pellerito. Uh, we're going to talk about comic conventions from the perspective of a publisher. Are you going to are you going to get him for the Dragons Den episode? He, we're going to the Dragons Den thing is going to be a two parter. So yeah, he'll be okay. on one and he'll be on the other. Uh, so Mike's going to be my guest on this Patreon exclusive epilogue to season four uh, in just a couple of weeks. And then I still have two more episodes to go on my Superman themed spinoff, my Super Fan History. So at the beginning of December, we have an episode with Alan Boss from It's Vintage in Mendham, New Jersey. Uh, it's going to be very appropriate for the holidays. We're going to be talking about Superman merchandise through the <laughs> years. And then at the beginning of January, I mean, this episode, I've been waiting years to do this episode. Comic book artist V. Ken Marion and I are going to talk Smallville. I've been waiting to do this for awesome. a very long time. Uh, so again, after today, you have the after show for this episode. You have the epilogue with Mike Pellerito from Archie Comics. And you have two more episodes of My Super Fan History. So that'll close out the year and bring us into 2019. Then, this is where you come into the picture, my friend. One of the Patreon-exclusive podcasts is Beyond My Comic Shop. So, I don't know, Chris, if you got a chance to listen or if listeners are familiar. Earlier this season, I did a four-part Beyond My Comic Shop miniseries with Ben Lichtenstein from Zap Comics. And we talked all about his origins and, and the, the factors and forces that influenced him and shaped his business strategy as he is out there buying and selling back issues like a madman. And it was really interesting, and I got a lot of good feedback on that. And so I want to do more with that format, where I take four episodes with a particular guest or a particular subject, uh, and really just have the opportunity to get a little bit deeper and spend a little bit more time. So that's going to be one of the Patreon exclusives. And I'm very excited to announce that the uh, my guest for this first Beyond My Comic Shop miniseries is you. Me. Beyond My Comic Shop, Never Stop, Never Popping. <laughs> now, the, the title itself is a little tongue-in-cheek, but uh, I am very excited for this because, I, I mean, I think you know, I mean, the fact that I've had you on the show as many times as I have, I always enjoy talking to you. I appreciate it. I love being on. And I truly, I really admire your work ethic. You have Undiscovered Realm. You have the tattoo shop, Addicted to Ink. You are a vendor at at all of these conventions right you mount your own conventions you do a tattoo con and you do a comic con which we're going to talk about in the after show so it's inspiring to me because i often feel like i've got so much stuff going on and it can be crushing sometimes then i look at what you're doing i'm like all right you know (laughs) we're all we're all i mean look at your slate it's packed too you know we're all doing stuff we love but but it's it's work yeah but no i mean it really is inspiring and so that's that's kind of what i want to do i want to take those few episodes and talk about you know, what got you to this point and all the factors that influenced you. Oh, that's and, awesome. You know, in the past, we've, we've talked a lot, again, about pops and about conventions. But, you know, I know you're a huge music fan. You go to concerts all the time. Yeah. You seem like you live at the Alamo. You're always seeing <laughs> movies. You know, uh, the tattoos, of course. I mean, and that's a whole other side that we've only scratched the surface on in these episodes. So, you know, there's really a lot for us to talk about. So I'm very excited about that. So that'll start uh, aiming for uh, four monthly episodes starting in February 
That'll be Patreon exclusive at the $2 a month level. It was going to be three, but I made it two because I want, you know, we want to reduce those barriers to entry. Everybody's got two bucks, you know? Just drink two less Arizonas that month. You're good. That's all. So, uh, so that's what we have uh, coming up. So I'm very excited for, awesome. for all of that. And yeah, I look forward to talking to you next season for, you know, for the Dragon's Den stuff. Yeah. And, and it's going to be oh, a lot. I'm excited, yeah. It's going to be great. All right, my last, my last bit of business before we circle back to the Road Warrior here is my comic shop country. So, you know, this is the documentary film that I've been very hard at work on in the background as we've been doing all these podcasts. So I'm hard at work editing, aiming to have the film done first quarter 2019. Oh, wow. The trailer will be out soon, so uh, just make sure that you are following me on social media. You'll you I promise you won't be able to miss it. But uh, you know, you follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Desi Westside, like the My Comic Shop History Facebook page. We have a I started it this season a Flat Squirrel Podcast Network Facebook group. Uh, so that's something else that you can join the Flat Squirrel newsletter, which you can sign up for on the Flat Squirrel Productions website, uh, and then of course this show that you're listening to now, make sure you're subscribed. You can do it on Podomatic, iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. That's the best way to ensure that you never miss an episode. Um, so that's what we have coming up. You know, know, you know this, and regular listeners know, it's very important to me that we reinvent the show each season. Uh, it'd be really easy for me to just keep telling alternate reality stories or keep talking about, you know, different comic shops. But I think it's for each season to have its own focus. Uh, it keeps me interested and engaged and hopefully listeners too. Yeah, but it's cool because like... You know, you, you do branch out, but it still all ties into that core right. thing. So it's it's done well, at least. You know, it's well, I appreciate that. But yeah, it's like that core DNA that we always yeah. try to we always try to maintain uh, as we're exploring these different areas. So really, you know, thank you to everyone for uh, for rolling with us for all of these seasons and episodes. I genuinely love doing this, and I look forward to continuing to do more. All right, thank you for indulging me. No, no, that. it's great. Now, let's talk about the Road Warrior here. <laughs> yeah. So. Like I said, uh, you know, a few themes emerged as I was going through, uh, you know, your, your Facebook posts. I'm, I'm curious to see what these themes are, too. Well, one of the things, the vans and the restocking, okay. those seem to pose uh, a lot of challenges because yeah. that came up a bunch of times. It's always some unique problem yeah. every week. Well, so I want to get to that, but just yeah. real quick first. So um, one of your posts was about, and I remember this because I saw you that day, was about how it took you two hours to get down to New York Comic Con the, the first day of the show. What, what happened? Just traffic? Yeah, it's just like, that's the thing you can't bank on either. It's like, you're like, all right, this show's 20 minutes away. This is great, right? You know, let's get up. You're already getting up at like the crack of dawn, you know, before like a 20-hour day. So, you know, any extra time, you know, it's just hell. But um, yeah, yeah, just crazy traffic. Um, Also, like, you know, this is the thing people don't realize. Like, if you're pulling a trailer and stuff like that, you're like commercial. So, like, you can't go on parkways and stuff. So, like, if we have to go local, it takes 10 to Like, I could drive to Philly faster than I can get like 40 minutes upstate. And, uh, cause you gotta go all these crazy ways and like, even like Google maps or Apple, whatever, they don't, they don't route that stuff. So like you have to really pay attention or you, you know, that's why you see these guys like hitting underpasses and getting stuck or, and the tickets are crazy if you go on the wrong highway. So like, it's really scary. Like, um, you know, and that's one of the reasons like I get really nervous if like I'm not at the show, which is very rare, but like sending guys out because it's an easy mistake to make. And like, you get like a ticket for like thousands of dollars or something, you know, and then you're just like killed. So, you know. Traffic is definitely a factor, especially when you're doing like these 20 hour drives and stuff like that. You know, one accident, which you're probably going to run into along the way, could turn things into like, you know, a 30 hour drive. And it's it just, it's crazy. 
It's, I mean, it's amazing. So, you know, the, in the previous episode, I spoke to uh, Jeff Beck. He's the owner of Eastside Mags. And mm-hmm. so that gave us the retailer perspective. And, you know, he sets up at maybe a handful of shows, right, in a year, which, and it was interesting to get that perspective. But, you know, I was especially excited to talk to you going to as many shows as you do, seeing as many shows and seeing as many parts of the country. And, and I know we've touched on this in other episodes, but I really wanted to get into this vendor experience that you've had. And, you know, I was think I really was thinking about you as I was walking the floor at New York Comic Con, because again, Undiscovered Realm, you specialize in pops mm. and gaming and specifically pops at yeah, these shows. At the shows for sure. Yeah. And I mean, again, for anyone who's, you know, been to any of these conventions, I'm, they've, they've likely seen your booth. It's always large and very prominent. Yeah, yeah, definitely. People remember us. You, I want to give, this is going to, I have to say this in a way that <laughs> doesn't sound like a backhanded compliment because I don't mean it that way. But kudos to the, to the photography, because I feel like you really, you photograph your booth in a way that I feel like gives it, like makes it seem even grander. <laughs> That's important. You know, like, I, definitely I do. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to like trick anybody. No, but, no, 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 no. And I don't, I don't take it like that at all. But, you know, like I try to get everything in. Sometimes it's hard, you know, or the lighting sucks or blah, blah, blah. So, you know, we, we try to do our best, but you get used to it after a while. Yeah. But so I was thinking of you as I was walking the floor at New York Comic Con, and I, I, obviously you know this, and listeners know this. I mean, pops are everywhere. Yeah. And I mean, really everywhere. I mean, there are some booths that just will have a few, but they still have them. And then other booths that are very much dedicated to them. I mean, have you, like, how do you continue to stand out in such a crowded field? Is it bringing like a bigger space is it better deals is it more exclusives is it some combination like what do you do i think it's definitely a combination um i i think like we we a we have the biggest selection like even there might be you know and when i say there's people that are bigger than us it's it's literally you can count them on one hand but they're probably bigger than us in volume of transactions maybe because they do a lot online or that you know we don't we don't really do a lot online we're more like hands-on so, but at, as far as shows go, there's nobody that has our selection or the size of our booth or the organization. Like that's one key thing that I think a lot of people, because it, it's just extra work. Like, like if you're not familiar with our booth, you know, we have like seven different racks in a, you know, 20, 30 foot space, but they're organized, you know, all the Disney's together, the TV's together, DC, Marvel, so on and so forth. And, you know, a lot of other booths, they just throw everything up. And like, let's say you're looking for a Harry Potter pop, there's 30 of them, but they're behind something or that one's 20 feet to the left and 20 feet and nobody wants to especially in a convention where your time is really valuable nobody wants to sit there looking through everything or looking behind things things get damaged that way so we're very organized you know if we have 10 harry potters they're all right next to each other in order they're you know never mind in their own section you know even the pops they are next so i think that's one of the key things people always say and i really like the number one thing i appreciate is when people do notice that they come in and they're like i gotta tell you this is great like this is the best booth I've ever been in. You know, those things mean a lot to us because it, you know, it takes us five, six, seven hours to set up and we probably could do it in like three hours if we half-assed it like everybody else. So I think that's one of the things, definitely selection. We tend to have everything as soon as it comes out, um, which is, you know, another huge job in and of itself. You know, people don't see the back end of like hunting some of this stuff down or like working out a trade with someone or, you know, I need these, but I owe you a favor now. So I have to give you the, you know, like all these things come into play to, have this selection all the time and have everything in stock. So, you know, I think that's that. We try to be as fair as humanly possible on our prices. Um, you know, it is a business at the end of the day, but when we can help people, we do, you know. Um, and I think a lot of it really comes down to customer service. And I tell this, uh, even, you know, it's funny because like, like you said, everybody sells pops and even the other big, our direct competition, like it's funny, like at New York, for instance, like everybody kept coming to bring us pops that they wanted to sell or, 
said, oh, somebody told me you'd have it. And like all our main comp- competitions actually sending people to us. And, uh, you know, that's really cool. Like, I mean, I think that, you know, we're, we're friendly enough that like, you know, people that have no, it doesn't help them at all to send them to us, but they still do. And I think that's cool. And, um, and I think, you know, it's just a customer service thing where we treat everybody well, you know, we'll take the time to talk to you, even if we've heard that question 5,000 times, or, you know, sometimes you get those customers, you know, from being in a comic store, you know, they can be very hard to deal with, but we still take the time to do it. And, and, and I think all those things combined is luckily what enables us to, you know, be as noticeable as we are. And, you know, we go back to a city, you know, we'll use Chicago as an example, like, people come up to us and they're like, Oh, I bought from you last year. I bought from you in, you know, Miami or something like that. They remember. And they're like, I come to you first, you have everything and you've always treated me well. And you know, that means a lot to us because at least people are noticing and it, you know, some of the nights where it's like four in the morning and you've been like restocking or you just got back from like 10 trips in a row. You're like, why am I doing this? This is insane. And those type of things really, even like one person saying that it makes you realize that somebody actually does notice and care. So it's pretty cool. No, that is. And, you know, as a as a customer of Undiscovered Realm, I mean, I, I appreciate the organization, both at shows and at your store in White Plains. And, you know, the same principle holds true for, for comics, too, because, you know, and we would always talk oh, about yeah. this, like, at shows where, you know, the the vendors who had their books alphabetized, you know, it makes a huge difference. Oh. I mean, there's a lot to be said for the thrill of the hunt, but it's like, you know, you're still you don't want to overdo it. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes, you know, you'll see vendors with just like random long boxes and it's, yeah, you might find something great, but you kill your whole afternoon. Yeah, like two boxes, boxes in, you're like, all right, I'm done. Yeah. Uh, so no, I mean, that makes a big difference. One thing came up a few episodes ago, I had a couple of creators on the show, uh, artists, and they were talking about, again, like this idea of having a, you know, a presence at shows and deciding which shows are worth it or, or not. And one of the things they brought up I thought was interesting, and I was curious to see how this plays out in your world, if at all, you know, this idea that if people see you at the same shows, like, all the time, do you ever run that risk of them being like, well, like, I don't need to get something from the nags. They're always around. Yeah, I think that definitely, like, um, obviously, because we do all these shows, we become friends with a lot of the other vendors. It almost becomes like a little family, and you see... Not everybody's the same at every show, but a large, I'd say 80% might be the same type of vendor. And, you know, you'll hear like, oh, you know, my sales are going down or blah, 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 blah. But they have a a very unique item where like if somebody already bought it from you this year and they're seeing you for the 10th time, there's no incentive for them to buy it. And we're lucky in that our stock changes constantly just by nature of the beast. Like new stuff is coming out every, literally every week. You know, there might be 10, 15 new things. Um, and then, you know, old stuff comes in and out and, you know, we get, we get a lot of collections and we're pretty well known for having higher end and rare stuff. So you could see us a week before and come back and we might have, you know, 20% different stock. And so we're lucky in that respect, but that's definitely an issue for a lot of vendors for sure. Especially if you're creating original stuff. Yeah, no, for sure. And then again, just, you know, this number of shows, you know, that you go to, I mean, I guess... I kind of love to go through this process of, you know, from deciding to go to a show to, you know, the the prep, enlisting help, renting the vans, like this, you know, kind of this this whole part. But as far as just like deciding on the show, um, and again, you were saying, you know, maybe scaling back potentially the number of shows that you go to. Yeah, well, you kind of, you know, you figure out which ones work the best for you. And and you might have a great show one year and then the next year you could do half as well, you know, and there's so many variables that you can't control the guests, the temperature outside, if it's raining, if it's sunny, you know, you can't do anything about those, but you still have a good idea what shows work really well for you. And 
you know, what you, at the end of the day, it is a dollar and cents thing. There's some shows that even maybe you do a little less profit at, but you enjoy doing them or they're close enough that it's, you know, you have to. So all those things definitely go into it. You know, if something's 20 minutes away and you might not make a ton on it, but hey, it's close to the store. You can advertise the store to people um, or, you know, it's your home customers or, you know, you have to have a showing because your competitors are going to, you know, so sometimes that comes into play. But, you know, a lot of it, I guess now is like we've we've been on the road for at least a few years and we know what works for us and what doesn't. And, you know, just because if we do a new show and it doesn't go super well, I can sometimes say, hey, I see the writing on the wall here, you know, a couple little things. This is going to be a great show eventually. And you want to stick with it. You know, we're also loyal guys, you know, so there's the shows that you do because, you you know, you know the person and, you know, they do a lot of hard work and you want to be there for them. So there's so many, you know, variables and a lot of politics involved. But I think like the number one thing, obviously, is dollars and cents, you know. Right. Well, yeah. And, you know, that's that's definitely something that's come up in various episodes. Again, talking to a retailer, talking to the creators, you know, there is this cost benefit analysis, whether you're you know, paying for a table in Artist Alley or you're paying for a booth on the floor. I mean, like yeah. at New York Comic Con, like, what is that? It's run? expensive. I mean, like, you know, it depends. Like, um, we have like two and a half booths. I, I want to say it's around like two to three thousand dollars a booth. Um, and then also things people don't realize, like, so for a normal show, we have like four people. Um, for New York Comic Con, I think we have like 12 or 14 people working the entire time. And so we need to purchase additional badges. And like that alone was another $1,200. You know what I mean? Like, and then, you know, luckily that's a close show about hotel and, you know, food and gas and tolls and, you know, tires and, you know, you, know, you name it, just wear and tear. That stuff adds up really quickly. So you have, you have to think about that. And I think a lot of vendors definitely don't, you know, that's just a day-to-day thing. They don't realize like, hey, I'm going to do this show and I'm going to make, you know, whatever I make, but I don't, I just put, you know, 3,000 miles on my vehicle and, you know, that adds up. And then eventually that's thousands of dollars in repairs. You have to factor that into each show too, you know? So, you know, there's a lot of stuff to think about. Right. You mentioned, you know, enlisting help. Our mutual friend, Brian O'Day. Yeah. Well, he was just with us. I All right. But I heard he left you in the lurch with another oh, show. Oh, he did. He did. His Which love one was of, that? Uh, you know, I got to say, uh, for New York Comic Con. Who was yeah, New York yeah, the, the mother of all shows, you know. He, he's a very loyal, loving guy, but his love for Conor McGregor, I think, uh, you know, surpasses all. Yeah. He was, uh, yeah, he was in Vegas, right? Yeah, for a fight yeah. that weekend? Yep. Yeah. You know, speaking of Brian at the recent uh, Alternate Realities uh, dinner gathering, Mm -hmm. I was telling him about the Never Stop, Never Popping podcast. And he said, I really want to listen to that, but I don't want to pay for it. And before I could even respond, one of the other guys, Drew, he, he chimed in. He's like, well, that's a conundrum. I don't know how yeah. Brian's going to work it out, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to scrape that $2. I together. know, but I'm glad that he, he the, the interest is there at least. So we'll take that. But, yeah. uh, but I mean, is that something that you have to deal with? I mean, again, I know these, you know, friends and, you know, hopefully on the reliable side, but I mean, is that something where it's like, it just uh, kind of falls through? Luckily it hasn't happened too much. Like, you know, and, and again, I, you know, I understand like people are doing us a favor half the time. Like, yeah, they're, they're doing a job, but like, you know, it's not the most glorious thing in the world, you know? So I get it. You know, I wouldn't hold that against anybody as long as we can fill the spot. And we did. So it's no big deal. But um, we've been lucky in that aspect. But I see like, uh, you know, there's a lot of vendor groups on Facebook or wherever. And people are always looking for help. Or some people like just get help from Craigslist locally, which I can't even imagine doing. But, you know, I remember like a month ago or two months ago, this guy's like, none of my help showed up. (laughs) Like I have nobody. I, I kept, you know, and I'm like, what do you do? Like, that's insane to me. 
So we're really lucky in that regard, I think. Um, we haven't had a lot of issues that probably, if you talk to any other vendor, they probably have a lot of. Right. So there was one convention that uh, you posted about a little while back. I'm trying to find it through all the uh, screenshots, uh, <laughs> through all your stuff. Uh, I don't know offhand which convention this was, you know, specifically. And again, not to harp on the negative experiences, but oh, I was, yeah, I was just kind of curious because, you know, this is the sort of thing, like, I'm sure, like, this was, you know, this was like a fire raging within you. <laughs> your post, and now some time has passed. Yeah, I'm I don't remember thing. a lot of these things. So, yeah, how about, how about it? But uh, you said suffered our biggest losses ever wow. at the show this weekend, as did many others. Uh, you had some FedEx issues going on at the same time. This weekend really made me question doing shows. It's so disheartening to have weeks and even months of hard work, stress, being away, and more just vanish into thin air from things out of your control. I had multiple vendors tell me today they may hang it up uh, or ask if we wanted to buy them out. So what was going on there? Um, all right. I have to preface this with like, um, so this was this was a show in Philly, um, and it was run by Reed Pop, who I love dearly. Honestly, they run the best shows in the country. I've never had a problem. My all of my favorite shows are run by Reed Pop, um, and this one was just an anomaly. I don't know what happened, and it was not their fault whatsoever. But it was just the biggest mismatch of problems I've ever seen in my life. And you know, going back to what I said before, where like, you know, you could have literally the worst show of your entire history, but you can see the writing on the wall. Obviously, eventually, it's going to be a good thing, and um, that that's a perfect example of something like that. I love the people that do it. Um, they obviously have the best pedigree in the business and, you know, the potential is there. So that being said, um, just nobody showed up, um, mm. but they, they had great programming. They had great guests. Um, you know, it was in a big city. I think the biggest problem was it it's, was three weeks before New York Comic Con. And, so this was, uh, this was the new show that they started yeah, this year, Keystone, yes, right? Yeah. And again, I, I really don't want to come off like I'm, you know, talking bad about it because I, it really wasn't their fault. And obviously you know, they suffered more than anybody, you know, and, right. and I, you couldn't pay me enough money to be a staff member in that building that weekend. I've never experienced anything like that. And, uh, oh, why people complaining oh about my it? God. it? I mean, I, I honestly, I thought it was going to get violent at a certain point. Like people were, cause you got to remember, like people were literally losing the, their ass. Like it, it was, it wasn't pretty. And then to make it worse, the, the union, this is something that a lot of people don't realize. Like the union was being ridiculous there and they were charging people to load in, load out like a dollar fifty per pound. Um, if you even had a commercial plate, like a rental van, like you had to pay. So people were getting bills for five, ten thousand dollars just to load in, never mind load out. Um, it, you know, now factor in a weekend where everybody's, you know, not in the best of moods and they're all commiserating together. And then I thought during load out the cops were coming, you know, it, it was getting that's to that bad. level. Yeah. And, and again, not, not any fault of the showrunners because they, they didn't do anything either. The, the union just really turned the screws to them for whatever reason. I don't know, but I have to give them credit where I don't know what they did, whether they picked up an insane bill, they covered the loadout costs and, you know, really saved a day at the end of the show and made a really potentially bad situation. Good. And my hats are off. And I, and I said this after the fact too, like, the staff did a great job and they really weathered probably the worst storm they ever will. Um, but you know, sometimes these things happen and you know, that's probably the, you know, the worst case of it. But I mean, we, we lost a lot of money there and, um, thank God New York comic con was right afterwards. Cause that's your biggest show of the year. Same company though. So, you know, this might, you know, we talk five years from now, that show might be just as big, you know, it has the potential. Right. Well, I know. And that's, yeah, I mean, that's especially, you know, you don't know which way that's going to go right with a new show. Of course, of course. And, they did everything right. I, I really, 
I don't know. Sometimes you can do everything right. You know, we all know this in life. Yeah. And things just don't work out. It's tough. I mean, like you said, the fact that it was so close to New York Comic Con. Yeah, I think that was definitely a red flag, yeah. I mean, look, this, and I know you've heard a bunch of the episodes. I mean, this has been something that's been coming up, and I've been asking people about it, because you hear a lot of people, and fans especially, but you hear from, you know, different (laughs) areas about there being too many shows, and I mean, maybe that could be an example of, you know, uh, just there not being enough. It could be, could be, but you know, like, I think, like, if they put that show on in March, um, it'd be one of the biggest shows of the year. I really do. It's the right place. It's the right. It's just not the right time. That's it. People, New York is even from as a vendor. New York Comic Con is just so big, and you have people coming from everywhere. People save up all year. It's like they have an allowance for that show. And as a vendor, you can tell. It's like people come. They have their however much money in their pocket, and like on Sunday, they're like, "I saved for this show. I have to spend it. Like, let me find something to buy." That doesn't happen at any other show. So, you know, for that, you're asking people to like dip into that money, you know, that they're in their mind. They're like, I'm ready. I'm dedicated to New York. I'm dedicated to New York. And I think that's all it was. And I think, you know, they will have a super successful show as time goes on. So when you, when you wrote about, you know, questioning doing these shows, I mean, was that something that, that passed once, once things settled down? No, it did. But look, you know, you, there's a lot of good to doing all this, but there's really a lot of bad too. You're on the road, you're away from your family, you're, you know you're away from your friends luckily we get to bring some of them with us but you know it's a lot of work it's a lot of stress you could go into a show you know and it could have been your best show of the year before and you could end up losing money you don't know like there's just so many factors so you know it's already highly stressful and you know sometimes you figure these shows are safe like oh this is this is one of the big ones like there's no way it's going to go south and then it does and you're counting on that you know pay your mortgage or your bills or pay an, uh, a vendor to get your stock, especially right before New York. Like, people were probably going to take that money and reinvest it to stock up, you know? So now only are you not, you're not making money there and losing money, but you're losing more money because you didn't have the product to sell at the other show. And, um, you know, there's so many things that go into it. So when something like that happens, it's almost like a punch in the gut. And then again, you have all these guys like, you know, that normally you, you see your vendor friends at every show, but when it's slow like that, everybody's just kind of wandering around and you, you have groups of 10 people just all bitching to each other. And, it, you know, it gets toxic really quickly. Right. So, you know, it's it's hard not to really feel down on yourself, you know, or not even just yourself, just in general, you know. Right. And, you know, you could say like, all oh, the company loses a shit, a shit ton more than anybody else, you know, but they can they absorb can, it better absorb than it. a mom you, and pop you can't. shop. You're out of business, you know, and, it, and it's hard, you know. So, of course, temperatures, oh, temperatures, <laughs> tempers are going to flare, you know. Yeah. When you say that, you know, some vendors approached you about buying them out, have, have you bought out any other vendors or, or seriously thought about it? I mean, you know, everyone jokes all the time, like, oh, hey, when are you going to buy me out so I can stop doing this, you know. Um, you know, you never, like, full, I mean, yeah, it does happen. Somebody goes out and they're like, hey, I'll sell you everything. Um, not often, but what happens a lot at a slow show is the guy with the biggest wallet in the room absorbs. So like you have the small guys who legitimately like, like I'm not exaggerating when I say maybe they don't have the gas money to get back home because they just made no money. So they need to sell stuff at cost below cost just to recoup their money, just to get home, you know, so they're taking their loss. So if you, you know, yeah, you lost a lot of money that weekend, but maybe you still have it. You know, you have New York coming up. If some guys like, oh, I have these pops, you know, they cost $7 at wholesale. I'm selling them for $4. It's half the price from for you to buy from them than to go from Funko directly. So, you know, even though you just lost a bunch of money, you buy that stuff at half price and then you resell that, it helps offset your losses. And that's what happens a lot. The guys with the money start shopping and, you know, it ends up you have to find your silver linings, you know. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And that's actually something that I was going to ask. I mean, to what extent are you viewing these shows as an opportunity to acquire? Oh, I mean, there's some shows, you know, people say it all the time. Oh, that's a buying show or, you know, that's a dump show. Like I'm just dumping dead stock or not us necessarily, but you know, that happens a lot with like books and stuff like that. People like, I just go to dump all my dead product there or, you know, I'm just going there to buy from other vendors. You know, like a lot of the smaller shows are good for that because you get like, um, for instance, like the Rhode Island last year or, or Boston rather, there was a vendor who sells pops, but that's the only show he does all year. So whatever stock he had the year before, he just threw back in storage or whatever mm-hmm. it was, and then he brings it back out. He did not bother checking the pricing on things. Stuff that was $10 then is now 50 60 80 100 Like almost his entire booth was situations like this. So you walk over there before the show even opens, and you're like, I'll, I'll literally take your entire booth. Like, right. that's it. And, you know, so he, he sold like almost all his stock before the doors even opened. You know, and he, he's happy, but, you know you could have made so much more money, you know? So those things do happen. So you start to learn where these shows are that just kind of have like a really, for some reason, like New England is a lot like that where the people don't leave New England, like the vendors, they just kind of, you know, Boston, Rhode Island, things like that. Um, So you learn these shows and you might go there, even if you break even, you're buying your stock for the bigger shows so you can make your money then. Right. Yeah, it happens. I mean, any... (laughs) Any moral hesitation about? Oh, about de- definitely. Like that? I mean, I'm probably the like. I'm not saying the, you should necessarily. No, 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 no. no. I'm, I'm like the wrong person to ask about that because I no, I will definitely buy stuff off people when it's underpriced, especially if it's somebody that like I know I'm never going to see again. But more often than not, I say, hey, you know, you're way underpriced on this. Like it happened at Rhode Island. There was a guy right next to us, and he had um supernatural car, um with a dean in it or whatever oh, i still and, uh, haven't picked that up yeah so they were they were rotting away for like 50 bucks you know he had it out for 100 bucks and i was like you know there's like 300 dollars now and he's like really and I, he's like i'll sell them all to you for 100 bucks i was like i'll tell you what like put them out for 200 you're still giving somebody a crazy deal if you if you have it left at the end of the weekend we'll buy all of them for 100 each and he was like okay and whatever he had left we you know he sold us but we we told i could have just bought them right there but like you know i could tell it's a guy you know it's the only show he's doing you're not gonna rip him off and, uh, and I think that's one of the things that has helped us have all these other vendors look out for us too and send business to us because we'll go there and I'll say, hey, you know, that's, that's doubled since last month. You should really raise that up, blah, 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 blah. And we all help each other and it's become a little family and it's nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess, you know, in terms of why you do these shows, right? I mean, and you've already laid out, I think, pretty much the, all the major reasons. I mean, you go to these shows, you're, you know, you're moving product, you're, um, you know, raising awareness of, of the brand, of the store. You have sure. an online business, right? So yeah. people can find you online and you'll, you'll ship stuff to yeah. them, uh, potentially acquiring, you know, new pieces. I mean, is there any, yeah, anything Yeah, we buy else? collections yeah. too. No, I mean, it's a, it's a mismatch of all those things, honestly. Like I said, each show has its own reasons for doing it. But at the end of the day, all those things come into play. Um, obviously the further away you are, you know, you're not really going to have somebody from Chicago show up to your store, but Hey, people come to New York all the time, right? You tell them, Hey, it's a 20 minute ride from grand central. If you're ever in the area, you know, stop in. And it does happen. Yeah. Um, somebody was doing, um, a road trip yesterday, uh, Monday, and they called up and they're like, Hey, are you guys open? And we're usually not on Mondays, but we were there, you know, restocking from Rhode Island and they stopped on by like on their road trip, you know, they were driving seven hours, you know? So these things do happen and people, you know, definitely remember you. So you, you do them for all those reasons. Right. All right. So, you know, you're deciding which shows to do. And again, those are some of the reasons why you might choose to go to a particular show. And of course you have your experience from the ones that you've gone to. And so you know, sure. you're, you're, you make the decision to go to a show, you're enlisting help. Right. There's, and I want to get into this, the vans 
and uh, you know the the load in process. Sure. So that's something I have no experience it's, with. Every show is a different different beast. Talk to me about the vans first. Um, like, I mean, what do you have any? Do you have? Yeah, some? we we own our own van. Okay. A cargo, well, cargo van and a trailer. Um, and uh, you know that's usually okay. Um, but then there's certain shows. Um, like, oh, we use New York Comic Con for example. It's one of the few shows where the union at the Javits Center is extremely strict. So if you come in a box truck or a rider truck or um, a trailer, anything that's bigger than like a you know regular old van, um, you have to pay. And it's around I think a dollar fifty or dollar seventy five per pound that you unload. You know, so they can get insane really fast. And so they're weighing everything. As yeah. It's... So they weigh that. Basically, if you come in a trailer, they weigh it. Okay. And then you unload, and then they weigh it. Got it. Okay. And, okay. Uh, and you know, that's how that's how they do it. And um, so it gets crazy. But if you come in vans, they the show or how, whatever deal they've worked out, Repop, they offset the cost, so they don't charge you. You unload everything onto a pallet real quick, and they forklift it to your booth. And that's how they... Also, they have to load so many vendors into a show like that, that that's the way it keeps moving quickly. Where do you... Where does the van go after? Um, so, usually, there's a lot, you know? But some places, like New York City, um, D.C. is the absolute worst. There's no outdoor lots, uh, especially for a van and a trailer. It's just ridiculous. Luckily, we're from New York, so we actually... I, p- I pay an extra person to drive the van and they take it back to the house, unhitch the trailer and then come back with the van again. Okay. Um, but we, we can't use the trailer for New York Comic Con because of the cost. So we have to rent vans. And for us to fit our racks in there, we can only use the vans with the really high tops. And a lot of the rental places only have maybe one of those. And they're booked like for a month at a time, two months at a time, because other people are doing similar things. So like finding one is a nightmare than like, you know, you enterprise telling you they're going to have this van and you show up and they have a smaller one, you're literally screwed. Like it's going to cost you five, $6,000 now to load into New York Comic-Con. And, uh, it's crazy. And these are the things like nobody ever thinks about or sees, you know, it's crazy. Oh, I know. I know. And that's one of the few shows where like, maybe you suck it up and, you know, absorb it. Cause that's how big that show is. But there's no other show in the country. I think that you would do that. Um, and you know, some shows you just pull right up, like, you know, one of the things I like about wizard world, they get a lot of crap, but like, you literally can drive up to your booth at almost, depending on the convention center, but most of them, I can park right next to my booth and unload everything. It saves us hours of work and, mm. and stress and headaches. And then some of them you have to load in from like, you know, two blocks away and roll everything through the whole convention center. Some of them, you know, you're right by the door. You know, literally every show is a unique situation. Okay. Parking, um, maybe the the loading dock only has three, uh, three spots to, to load in, you know, so you have to wait for everybody to finish before the next ones come in. Or maybe they have tons of them and it's quick, you know, like like Rally. I love that show. The the loading dock is it gets full really quick. So the line's like seven blocks long. It'll take you four hours just to get in before you can start to fill your van up, you know. And nobody sees this stuff, you know. They come right. to the show and they leave and they don't realize like this, you know. There's a whole world going on afterwards and before. Because you know the only experience I have with this alternate reality setup at a convention at the Westchester County Center yeah. like a year or two before we closed. And that's one of the easiest ones, honestly. Yeah. And so that's my only experience being on that side. And it was, you know, a small show and we didn't have that much stuff. Like it was, you know, again, we sure. parked, brought the stuff and gotcha. that was it. But I mean, this is really crazy to me. And so, you know, again, I'm, I know it depends on the show, but I mean, typically how early, how, how far in advance of the show are you able to load in? Like for, for, oh, for New York, it's New days York, before, right? Um, New York, they start two days before, yeah. but the way they do it. So for us, we can't load until the day before because they, um, they don't set up the back half. We're on the back wall. Yeah. So they don't set up that back area so that everybody else can load in and use that as like a staging area. 
and then they get to set up. So if you're in the front or the middle, you can start setting up two days before. For us, there's no space back there. They're using it for storage and everything okay. uh, until the day before. So then we set that up. So typically it's the day before. Some really small shows, you set up that morning. We can't, like for somebody with our size setup, it's impossible. Um, but you know, like, you know, more like local shows and things like that. Sometimes you would set up at like, you know, six to 10 in the morning or something like that. And then the show opens, you know, but typically, you know, I would say like eight to five or six, 8 a.m. to five or 6 p.m. is your typical load-in window. Some shows, I love it when it's like, you know, 11 or 12 to 10 or something like that, because you actually get to sleep a little bit. You don't want to be right. like, because a lot of times you're driving in the night before or that morning. We always come the night before. Like I, I, I don't want to drive four hours and then unload a show. But a lot of people either can't get off of work because this is not their main thing or they can't afford another night in the hotel that comes right out of your profits. So they drive in, you know, that morning and then they go right to load in. And, uh, you know, so the later one's definitely preferable for a million reasons, you know? So it's, you really learn the ropes real quick. And it's one of the good things, like I said, there's a lot of Facebook groups and stuff like that. So everybody talks to each other. Hey, I'm doing this show for the first time. Like, what should I know? How's parking? Do you have an idea for a good hotel? And that's the other thing for us because of the trailer. I have to look. Sometimes it takes me like four, five, six hours to book a hotel because I need to make sure they have a big open lot. And even if they have an open lot, you know, you pull the trailer in and you wake up the next morning, the lot's full and there's no room to get out. That's happened to us. It's a night. It's a nightmare. (laughs) Like I can't even begin to tell you. But after you've done it for a year or two, now you book the same hotel. You already know this is where we go. This is where the parking lot is. This is, it becomes a little easier. But when you're first starting out, man, trial and error doesn't even begin to sum it up. Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, I would imagine that must be so challenging and especially if again, you don't know what to expect. And, you know, in a case like, you know, some of that, those costs, those numbers that you're telling yeah, me. Yeah, no, like, it can be astronomical. That's, it's so high that, I mean, you know, depending on the show and depending on your situation, might be the kind of thing where you turn around and go. Oh, uh, people were like almost going to do that at the last one where that problem was happening. People were like, all right, I'm out. And then, you so know. So tell me, just lay that out for me one more time because I'm, I'm still processing all of this yeah. about the, um, so I guess that was at the Philly show, right? Yeah. With the, uh, so you were in a van. I'm like, I'm looking yeah, at yeah, your, go, your, go your post. Yeah. No, so so for that show in particular, I knew ahead of time. I looked at the you know the package that they send you saying load in rules, blah 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 blah. Said um, no uh, no trailers. You know they're gonna charge for trailers, and you know that's right. typical. So we went, we rented a van, um, but because it had commercial plates, they would not let you drive onto the floor. You had to go outside, and you had to pay to unload. But like that's that is not typical at all. Um, you know, and every rental van has commercial plates. That's just how it is. There's no, you know, if and, and, and even if we personally owned it, it could still have commercial plates. So right. it was crazy. Like that's why people were literally getting in shouting matches. So like, this was 7,000? I think something like that is what it would have been. Yeah. Yeah. So now imagine that's before the show starts. So now right. you're thinking, all right, well, maybe we're going to have a really, really, really good show. And I, there's almost no show on the, in the planet that you could absorb that cost. I don't, right. Like nothing almost. Um, and then you have a, you know, a subpar show that you don't make anything at, and then they nail you loading out. Like people were making plans cause they were like, all right, I'm going to drive onto the dock. They're like, well, you're going to get towed. You can't do that. Blah, blah, blah. So other vendors were talking to each other. Like, right, I'm going to park this way. You can't tow a van from, you know, from behind so, or no, from the front. So you have to do it from behind. So they were like planning to park nose to nose so that like, even if the cops came, they couldn't tell, like, I'm telling you, it was like Lord of the Flies. I can't believe that everything went off without a hitch. And yeah, I got to give props like once again to the team behind it because they handled a bad situation and they really took care of it. But yeah. I've never seen anything like that. But was, And so you didn't pay the, the seventh. No. How did you not have to pay? Um, so we that. got really lucky. And um, 
I I was raising a stink outside, not with the show, but with the because I'm like this doesn't make sense. Like this is my van, right? And uh, they're like, oh. and then one I was like, all right, I, I'm gonna just go home because I we, we we will lose money. Like we can't do this. And one of the guys that works there was like, just come with me. And he like brought us. He's like, you have 15 minutes. And he brought us to some side entrance, and we just unloaded as fast as we ever have, and we got in. But that's us, you know. For some other person who maybe just walked away with their tail between their legs, they got hit. And but luckily at the end, I don't know what got worked out, but I said like read pop absorb the cost or something. I don't even want to know what that bill right. looked like. So props to them, um, you know. And and everybody got out and licked their wounds and you know slept it off. But yeah, yeah I've never seen anything like that. I hope I never do again for for everybody's sake. It's crazy. And how many pops or boxes of pops are you bringing to to these shows typically? Oh, thousands of pops, thousands and thousands. I, you know, I, I don't know, you know, so, so you know how we have our racks, like this might not make sense to some people out there, but we have these huge racks. So after New York, we sold so much stuff that there's so many holes. So we go back to the store, we look at the pictures of what's missing. We go through our back stock and we pull them. Um, but those racks are packed away in the trailer. So we put them all in moving boxes to then put back on the shelf. But now that adds like eight giant moving boxes that we don't normally travel with, which was part of the problem for this last one. Okay. And uh, so we have to put all that back on. So it, it really varies show to show. But, you know, we brought like twice as much stuff as we normally would have had to travel with because of New York. So you really have to think about that, too. Next year, um, Emerald City, C2E2, and like one of the other shows we do in Ohio, um, they're all back to back. Um, so like if we were to do them, we would have to somehow, you would run out of stock. You can't fit it all. So we would have to have somebody like drive from New York to Chicago to meet us after one of them to ha just have restock. Right. And like, it's just a logistical nightmare. Are you thinking about Emerald city? Cause I, I know that's I, farther oh, West than you've oh, ever gone. We've never gone past Chicago. Um, and I really want to do it, especially that's like Funko's hometown. It's a big pop city oh, and yeah. it's a really great show and it's another read pop show. I would keep bringing them up, but I love their shows. Well, they, I mean, they run yeah. a, a lot of big shows. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I really, truly do love their shows, and I would love to get into that one. Um, and I was ready to try, but I, we can't because I love C2E2. C2, you know, we've been over this. It's my favorite show of the year. We physically, it would be diminishing returns. We'd go there, run out of most of our stuff, and go to Chicago, and, you know, why are we even there? Right. You know, so it's hard. Well, you say get in, right? So it's not a guarantee that oh, no, you're going to no, no, get no. Especially those big shows. shows. I mean, like, you know there's waiting lists for years sometimes you know somebody has to like die or just go out of business for you to get in it's crazy i mean i guess part of it right is like limited space and then also yeah. i mean i'm assuming well i mean you could probably speak to this from your experience running your own show even though we'll mostly save that for <coughs> our after show that we're going to do sure. but you know i mean i'm assuming that there's some kind of consideration they don't want too many of the same types of vendors well yeah a good show will definitely vet that type of thing and not stick people next to each other and you know that's a large part of it like even from my own experience like you're saying like when we do the floor plan like if we have two t-shirt vendors we're not going to take on it even if we have booths to sell it's just not good for anybody like we want everybody to make money and you know it's bad for the show you're going to lose those vendors over time so a great show will say hey you know we have too much of this sorry and they'll vet it. Sometimes, though, it's just a first come, first serve. And if, like, you know, we'll say pops, like, if there's 50 booths and 50 pop vendors sign up first, guess what? <laughs> you know, although these days every booth seems to just be a pop booth. But yeah. that's its own thing. Well, any uh, yeah. bitterness toward that? Oh, no, I get it. But, you know, like, it weeds itself out. You know, the cream rises to the top. That's true. But, I mean, you've, I mean, you've seen it, right? Like, I'm sure over these years, how many years now have you been doing this? Um, I think we've been, like, heavily doing shows for about three years. So it's not been super, not super long, long, but I mean, it feels like decades, you know, <laughs> honestly, it really does. Like, I, you know, I know enough that like, I feel like I'm, you know, and I, I love talking to people. That's why I'm enjoying this conversation so much because a lot of this stuff doesn't get talked about. And 
you know, these are all questions that really, if, if as a new vendor, I could have talked to somebody and just said, all right, how does this work? How does this work? It would have been a life changer and saved a year and a half of just work and losses and, you know, expense. So no, it's uh, listen, this season has been very educational for me. It's like, I love to, I love to talk to the comic shop retailers, but I've lived in that world. So it's like, I know the answers to a yeah, lot of the questions that sure. I want to ask. Whereas with this season, it's been very different, and hey, I've, I've enjoyed that aspect of it. You're, you're a listener. That's but good. Yeah. When you have so much of the product at the shows, especially like if it's an especially busy time yeah. and or busy, big shows, I mean, does it hurt the store at all to not have some of those things in stock? Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's another really uh, interesting layer to everything. Some, some people just go show to show. They don't really have... Most people don't have stores, honestly. But yeah, so we try to keep like... You know, today we got a, a new shipment of a bunch of stuff in. So, um, you know, my partner, Ralph, he called me up. He said, all right, what do you want for the show next week? What do you want? So, you know, we pull three. Our shelf holds three. So we pull three for the store, three for the, the show right off the bat just to put out. Then it's back stock. If we get 30 of something, all right, do you do 15 and 15? No, we're going to sell a lot more at the show than we will in the store. So maybe we do like 12 and 24, you know. Or maybe there's a big Harry Potter guest and we got a bunch of Harry Potter pops in. So, you know, you're going to sell more of those. So you're going to take, you know, every show is its own unique beast. And, you know, this takes days, you know, like, all right, we need to pull this. We need to pull that. Oh, we're out of this one. Now we got to go dig through and find like, you know, nobody realizes how much headache and work that is. It's, it's crazy. And the formula does not flow from one show to another whatsoever. Every single show is a unique beast. And that's another thing, like as you do these shows over and over again, there's some weird anomalies to it. Like people in Chicago may really, really like this one product that like you barely sell at the other shows. But, you know, after you do it two times and you realize it's consistent, you're like, all right, well, we got to stock up on anime pops or whatever, you know, whatever it is. They really like that there, you know? So, yeah, no, that makes sense. Are there any specific examples that, that come to mind of things like no, that? No, not, not particularly like... Um, I don't know. Like a lot of the things for us anyway that sell are popular across the board. Right. But there definitely are some some shows where like we'll sell a ton of Star Wars stuff like for no apparent reason like certain cities and then like you won't you'll barely sell any for like the next month and a half. And you might sell zero of a pop at one show and then the next week you sell like 30 of them. And it, it, why? I don't know. It's it's just weird. And you know, I noticed something in like Chicago, there's like no hot topics around really for some reason, or they're oh, all okay. in the outskirts. So they're not in the main city. So hot topic stuff, exclusives and things like that fly because these people are not seeing them. Whereas here you can drive the five hot topics within 15 minutes. So it's whatever. I have a million of these, you know? So those things come into play too. You got to know, okay, we better stock up on the hot topic stuff because we're going to Chicago. You know, it's, it's weird. Yeah. I mean, you know, we talked about this cost-benefit analysis. I mean, if you don't mind me asking, I mean, the of majority of shows that you're doing, I mean, are they profitable for yeah, you? Yeah, but it's really deceiving. And this is one thing that, that comes up in these vendor groups a lot, too. It's like, how much did you make? Or like, blah, blah, blah. You know, if we make... <coughs> I'm just using fake numbers here. I'm sorry, I keep coughing. Um, let's say we make $20,000 at a show. And another vendor makes $5,000. But we're making a dollar per product, and they're making like 5,000% profit. That five thousand could be like us making a hundred. Right. So it's really there's no rhyme or reason to it. You cannot compare things whatsoever, or you know, you know. So you you hope to make profit, but like you could literally do a twenty thousand dollars show, and depending where it is, and you know how much the hotels are, and travel, and blah, blah, you could end up coming home with a thousand dollars in profit, like after recouping product and things like right. that. And sometimes that's okay. Like if you know you have a huge order coming in that you have to pay for in two weeks. Even if you go there and you break even or you maybe make a little less, getting that cash flow back and moving the product, it, it, these things all really – and that happens a lot, a lot. 
I, I don't care who who's going to tell you otherwise. Like ninety percent of this is cash flow. Um, you know, if you could just sell everything and you know pay for your orders and things like, people wouldn't do half of the work that they do. I mean, that does make sense. And obviously, you know, you're a smart guy, so it's like I'm. I'm assuming you wouldn't keep doing these shows if they were. No, you know, yeah, you, yeah. But, but there's a lot of things you have to like, you know, calculate because you can look at it as, and some people do. And obviously, there's nothing wrong with that. You should be looking at your your profit and loss, you know. But there's so many other variables to it. Like, did I pick up? Is this a show where we typically get a lot of collections in? Because now you're spending money, um, but you're going to make that tenfold you know, over time, you know, as you resell this stuff. Um, you know, so even if it's a bad show, sometimes, you know, you, you, you might still do it because of those things. And you can't really factor that into, you know, a pure, you know, profit and loss statement. Yeah. So it's, there's so many variables. Yeah. And then how does that intersect with the personal side of all of this? Because again, it's like you, this, you are away from home, you're yeah. away from your wife, no, you're hard. away from your dog, you're, no, you're away no. from your other businesses. It's really hard. And, you know, I'm lucky I don't have kids yet and I really, I want to have kids, you know, but I think about that all the time. Like, how am I going to make this work? You know, things like that. Um, you know, I do, I miss my wife. I miss my dogs, you know, um, it, it's hard. I mean, there, there's no, there's no other way to say it. You know, it's pretty hard. It, you know, as much work as it is, sometimes it's fun being on the road. You know, I say it all the time. It's like, it's like being in a band, except you're like, <laughs> you're the roadie, you're the manager, you're the tour manager, you're the booking agent, you're, you're everything. And there's none of the fun parts, you know, right. it's just all work. And there's a lot of overlap to that. Some people, you know, they don't even have places, you know, they just go from show to show to show and you live in hotels most of your life. Well, I know you've said in, in a past episode that if you weren't married, you might not have like your own place because yeah. you're on the road so much. Yeah, I mean, and you know, that might make it, easier sometimes in a way because not not just because like you know your wife's upset that you're not home or you miss her or something like that but like you know you could just hang out in those cities because half the time we go we could go to the best city in the world and you would never know it because all you see is the inside of a convention center and your bed right and the trailer and that's it you you could you could be anywhere in the world it doesn't make a difference you know so the people that are going show to show that you know they're getting a couple days to like go see the city explore things you know we don't get to do that at all also we have to come back to the stores and restock and we still have like businesses to run you know you, you can do a lot luckily these days on your phone and your computer but sometimes you physically got to be there and uh so that that comes into play a lot and i think it would be a lot easier if those things didn't exist yeah you it might be a lot more fun <laughs> i don't know speaking of this you know the travel side of all this yeah. if anyone wants to hear more specifically about that aspect of it you know we did an episode last year uh with comic book creator greg shegel uh, and that's available under the main my comic shop history feed it's a beyond my comic shop installment uh where we really talked about um again just like exploring these different places when you have the opportunity to uh food that you like to check out yeah. when you're there uh you know so if anyone wants a little bit more on that front that's out there too because i know that's a whole you know a whole other side of this yeah, you know, I mean, there's there's so many variables to it. Like like uh, Florida, like th those shows are the ones that we do anyway are pretty good shows. But like, even if they were okay, it's like I might break even on this show. But I'm in Florida, you know. It, a lot of people use it as an excuse. They bring their family with them. They go to Disney World. They go to Universal. They use that as a vacation because you're already absorbing the travel costs by going to the show. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's certain things like where you don't mind going to these places. Where if it's like in the middle of nowhere, you're like, eh, you know, why am I doing this? You know. Yeah. I put the call out on Facebook. I said, you know, if anyone has, uh, you know, is there any anything that we haven't touched on yet this season that, mm -hmm. that you wanted to hear about? And a couple of people brought up this phenomenon of con crud, mm. where, you know, it's not uncommon to come out of these shows under the weather. 
Is that something oh, you've I mean, experienced it's really a lot? Common. I know you. I know you swear by emergency. I, I do like that stuff. Yeah. I mean, in the past, it's definitely helped for me. People say it's a placebo. I don't know. It works, so I don't care. I've been really lucky in that I don't get concord that much, where other people get it all the time. So I mean, there's you know some people just have low immune systems. But like you know, we had this discussion this weekend actually because Brian O'Day he he was like, I need to go get Purell somewhere, blah blah blah, and I'm like, I hate using that because. You know, obviously, at the end of the day, I wash my hands. Again. Right. But, like, I think that the people that are constantly Purelling are the ones who are getting sick all the time because you're just not getting used to it. And I, I really, truly, I might just be making this up, but I, I never get sick. And, like, I'm dealing, neither does Carlos, really, and he's, like, my main guy. And uh, we're always dealing with people and money and boxes and, rack, like, you know, the dirtiest of things. Like, and we never get sick. And I think our immune systems have just built up so much from dealing with it all. So my wife and I have had this conversation because yeah. I'm in the O'Day category yeah. where I'm Purelling all the time. Uh, I think I've rubbed off on my wife in, in that respect. But I think left to her own devices, I don't think she would use it quite yeah. as much as I do. My thing is... I guess I am a little bit of a germaphobe and, you know, my day job, I'm, you know, in law school admissions. And so I'm going to a lot of these recruitment sure. events. I'm standing behind a table, like I'm shaking hands of over course, and over and over. And it's like, all I want to do is wash my hands. The thing that I especially can't do, it's like, you know, I can't touch my face and I can't eat if mm. I haven't washed my hands. Yeah, like, that yeah. is like of course, an of absolute. Course. Um, but even if I'm not doing that, like I still, mm. I don't know, I still can only yeah. go so long before needing to. I'm know. lucky that it doesn't bother me. Like Sanitize. obviously, like I, I say this all the time, my favorite thing is I know the day is over, I go wash my hands and it's crazy just like the dirt that comes off your hands just from, yeah. you're not even doing anything, just from touching things all day. And, uh, but yeah, I, I really do think, I, I talk to a lot of like um, handlers and guests and things like that and it's divided too. Like half of them, after every guest, they, they got this mega bottle of Purell and they wipe their hands after every guest. And then some of the other ones are like, nope, I don't do that. I never get sick. They always get sick. So I'm in that camp and it's weird. Like it's divided across the board, you know? I know. It's interesting. I know. I, I do think there's there's something to, you know, your theory about this though. And it's, you probably shouldn't overdo it. I think about this too. Like, you know, we don't have kids yet, but that's on the horizon. And it's like... Oh yeah, you're going to get sick all the time. It's, <laughs> we're going to get sick, but also it's like, you know, the child needs to be exposed to germs yeah. so i feel like it's going to be hard for me to not make the kid wash their hands yeah. like every second <laughs> no i know you gotta I, it's a mental thing i mean that's all it is you know everybody's different but i don't know it works for me and i very rarely get sick or if i do i get really sick for like three days and then i'm good you know yeah. for the rest of the year so you know to what extent are you enjoying these conventions slash experiencing them as a fan because like i see you post photos like you met uh, one of the actors from Stranger Things yeah. most recently, right? And you got him to sign. Yeah, yeah. Pop. So uh, that's like, I don't know, as a collector, I guess we're all collectors too, you know what I mean? Like, you know, the thrill of the hunt is still a thing. It's definitely desensitizing. Like we had this conversation, somebody was like, oh, why don't you come out to the show? And I'm like, you know, like it, it, we're doing so many shows. The, like last thing I want to even think about is going to another show. Yeah, do you show. ever go to a show just on Almost never, almost never. It would have to be something really special. Like there's a Ghostbusters one next year, which I'm very much looking forward to. But it would have to be something like that. That's like a one time, like, but yeah, you really get desensitized to it. And uh, this came up cause of Halloween and I'm like, Oh, this is cool. Everyone's dressed up. But like, I, I all I see is people dressed up every weekend. Like <laughs> it just feels like another day, you know, you don't even think right, about right, it. Yeah. You know, we're loading up the van and there's a million kids running around in costumes and it doesn't feel any different than a Saturday. So, um, yeah, you do experience and, and get to enjoy it sometimes. And that's one of the little perks is you do run into like celebrities or guests or things like that. And sometimes you, you know, you see them on a regular basis and it's kind of cool. Um, I'm personally trying to assemble a fully signed Stranger Things set, like of all, all the characters. So I, I just like the collector in me likes having that goal, 
Like, right. you know, like this is the thing. You always I, have to I have get something. It. Yeah, that like that once, motivation. Once yeah. you get everything, you're like, ah, it really does lose a lot of its appeal. Like, so it's nice, like, piecing those things together. And then there's the hard ones, like Winona Ryder. Like, that's like the, the grail, you know, like, where am I getting that? <laughs> so she doesn't do shows, but I will get it eventually. Like, you know, you just got to put in the work. Yeah. And, but yeah, uh, so you just, you met Will, right? Yeah. And yeah. And he one. was, and it's funny because he lives like, he lives in Scarsdale, which is like five minutes oh, from where he? we're recording right now. Yeah. Oh, okay. And uh, so it's funny. He's been like really kind of hard to get like i just keep missing them like two ships in the night and uh <laughs> i see the other ones all the time so it was nice to finally get that one and hopper too that was a nice one to check oh off. yeah i saw that yeah so and so like for that i mean do you have any special access by virtue of being a vendor like sometimes yeah um it again varies show to show like and some some promoters will you know let you do it for free which is really nice hmm. and appreciated and um sometimes you gotta pay um sometimes you know there's a lot of, and everything in between you know um you know sometimes you get to come in before the line starts which is really great some shows if you're a vendor they treat you like a vip pass so you still have to wait not with the regular crowd but at the back of the vip line because those people paid extra to be first you know and it's not right. fair for the vendors to jump that but they do understand you got to get back to your booth you know you're trying to sell stuff so really show to show every different avenue is a possibility like you might have to wait in the whole line you might get in before the show opens you might wait at the back of the vip you know there's a million variables but so you're able to get out from the booth at least a little bit or you have I agents sometimes to. who will go hunt sometimes i you. do that but i like to do a lap around the, for a couple of reasons one you know i do know all these people and one of the things that really does keep me going and i think about like all right if i just stop doing this tomorrow like i would miss probably most of all seeing all the other vendors that i've become friends with and it is like a family and i really do look forward to that and and we go out to dinner together you know we catch up you know I really, truly, that's probably my favorite part of all this. And um, so I like to at least go say hi. Um, and sometimes it's hard because I, I just want to walk the show floor and, you you know, you, you're stopping at every booth for 30 minutes to catch up on life with somebody. But um, I also like to see if there's any deals to be had or, like, if any of those rare things are floating around, you know, you know, before the show gets going and everybody's in there. So I try to do it at least then. Some shows, you like New York Comic Con, you, if you even want to go use the bathroom, you're out. Like, it's not happening. Oh, like, that's it's that crazy. Day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you just can't physically move out of that booth. But then sometimes it's a little slower. There's lulls, you know, and you, you, you learn when you can get out for a little bit. But it is nice. It's a, you know, to breathe for a second. Yeah. I mean, that's something to think about, right? Like, if you're a vendor at New York Comic Con, you can't go to the bathroom. No, people don't realize. Like, I'm not even joking. Like, on the back wall, you used to be able to get to the loading dock. You would just see, like, cups would pee in them and stuff like that. Because people are, like, just literally going back there. You, it, it is that crazy that you, even if there was no line for the bathroom, just leaving the booth, you could lose, like, hundreds of dollars. Now, factor in, like, the line's, like, three hours long because there's thousands of people. It's just crazy. Yeah. I mean, no, that's as far as the physical toll. I mean, we talked about the con crud, but I mean, just the stamina that you need. It, and again, it it's not, its as we've discussed, like it's not just the days of the show itself. It's the pre and post. Yeah. So by the time you get to the show, you've already been like killing yourself for three days, maybe, you know, loading heavy stuff and, and potentially a long drive. Like when you're driving to Chicago. Yeah, it's hard, you know, and you start to get tired and you got to be careful. You are lugging like 10,000 pounds behind you, you know, like it's dangerous. Like, um, one of the only i i always drive with everybody like I'm, I'm not one of those guys that's just like all right i'll see you later but i for some business reason i had to fly to florida so i flew back and they ended up hitting a deer on the way back and that's never happened knock on wood we've had no accidents no problem we've been you know we've had some mechanical issues and things like that but we've been very lucky and that's scary you know like you know you're dealing with so much driving that you open yourself up to having these problems so I, 
I had just gotten home. I was exhausted. I literally, I, I'm telling you, 30 seconds, I closed my eyes. I was like, oh, I'm so happy to be home and finally falling asleep. My phone rings. It's like 3.30 in the morning. They're like, oh, we just hit a deer. The car won't move. You know, and they're in rural Virginia or something. It's four in the morning. Nothing's open. There's no lights on the road. And, you know, they're not used to this. I got, right. so the girl that was driving is freaking out because she just, you know, totaled the car almost. Sure, and, it's unsettling. <laughs> yeah, so these things happen, you know, and you, you do get tired, you know, and you got to be smart enough to say, all right, we got to pull over. And, you know, sometimes you have four people in the car that can drive because you are pulling a trailer, so not everybody can do it or feels comfortable. So, you know, and then that's nice, you know, all right, I'll take five hours, you take five hours, you take five hours, we're there. Or sometimes, you know, I, I did 15 hours straight one time and it's it's hard, you know? No, I mean, I've never driven a trailer yeah and you have to think about it. you know like when you're driving your car you kind of zone out and you know with the trailer like if you even want to switch lanes you really have to heavily think about it like a right, minute right, beforehand right. and like all right i gotta make sure there's enough room i'm gonna do this and you can't go too fast and it's it's mm-hmm. it's a whole other layer but yeah you poor son of a gun that's another <laughs> theme that emerges in in looking at your posts uh, in numerous instances where it's like you finally make it home after <laughs> working x number of hours and there's a call that there's a leak or yeah, an alarm going thing, off you know? or you know something Na- like that nature of the beast but like you would you would think like you know okay this happens once a year like a pipe break or something it's every week something happens and you know i, I have to say like there's an asterisk like i am have my hands in so many things that like by default, I'm going to have more things happen. You know what I mean? But still, it's sometimes mind numbing that the amount of things that can go wrong. I know. I've, I've really given this thought because, you know, it's like, oh, does this guy just have like the worst luck? But yeah. I, I really, I think it's a combination of things. I think it's like, yes, you are involved in, you know, two small businesses with, right? Yeah. The tattoo shop yeah. and the shop. So I feel like those things just tend to lead to more of those types of, of issues. And then you're adding on the conventions. And Again, run, running and your being... own and attending all these other ones and the travel. It's like so many things that just, you know, not that you're asking for, but like there's no, just no, so no, many more you opportunities. You are opening yourself up for sure. For and I, I acknowledge that. But it, at the end of the day, it's just like how many things can go wrong? And it's like, you know, like you don't think about it. Like, you know, you could have like a field mouse go in the attic and chew a wire and your alarm's going off and you got cops calling you at three in the morning or like. You know, I think we went over this one time. Some lady just like drove straight into our AC unit and just mm-hmm. destroyed it. And the cops are calling you. Like, the cops call a lot. <laughs> it's always something. Well, this was one of my favorite posts. Okay. Really not not con related, but sure. this ties in with, with our discussion of your your luck. <laughs> the bank gave me an extra fifteen hundred dollars oh, yeah. today by accident because the girl was new and got confused, and I returned it. So let's see how the universe still finds a way to screw <laughs> me over, <laughs> despite the good karma. <laughs> yeah, no, and that that's true. I mean, did it's, anything it's happen perfect. to you? I, you know, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. It all kind of blurs. But I have this thing, like, and it's really weird. Like, let's say they didn't notice, and I took the fifteen hundred dollars, right? And I didn't get in trouble for it or anything like that. Literally within an hour, like my transmission would die on my car or something. And it would be exactly $1,500. This has been like a current theme through my entire life. Like one time I was at a convention, I won a raffle for like a $2,000 like entertainment system. And my engine died on the way home. And it cost me almost to the dollar what I just won. And this has happened to me so many times. Like I I can't even begin to tell you. (laughs) Like, so it's just comical. If anything good happens, I'm like, oh boy, I'm in for it. Like I'm going to win the lotto and promptly just get hit by a bus or something like that. That's just my luck. That's crazy. Well, when we do our, our uh, never stop, never pop yeah, miniseries, we'll, we we'll can, we can it. delve into this further. This is a very nice post. You know, we've been focusing on a lot of the challenges that, sure. that go along with your, your con adventures, but uh, you know, you posted a screenshot of a really nice message that you got. You guys are great. I wish you were in Philly more. You guys got my money all day long. 
you know, and I'm sure stuff like that no, is very no. gratifying. And, and going back to like, I forget what we were talking about at the beginning of the show where I said like, those are the things that really keep you going. Right. Or when people come in and they say it's nice, you know, I get messages like that every so often or from other, other, like you said, like you're doing all these things and you run yourself ragged and you, you see there's somebody else out there doing it too. And I get that a lot. Like, Hey, I'm just, um, you know, just starting a business and like, you, you know, I see how much work you put in and you know, it's really nice to be able to see it. And I just want you to know somebody out there, you're, you're helping me and things like that. It really, honestly, that means like the world to me because that it really feels like at least like even on the worst day, you're, you're, you don't think that somebody out there is watching and maybe you're helping somebody else, you know, and they could be like the next big, not that we're like the biggest thing in the world, but like, who knows who you're inspiring? You know what I mean? And that's really cool because that's one of the things, and we'll, we'll get into this next season when we go through the Dragon's End thing, but that's, you know, I've said it before on this show. That's one of the reasons we opened the store to begin with is because we grew up in that environment. We've made our friends that way. And who knows who you're inspiring? So, yeah, stuff like that really, 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 truly means a lot. Cool. Well, you know, as we wind down our conversation here, I mean, I guess I have to ask, and we've been talking about, again, what you do when, you, you know, you're selling pops. And I know, and this has come up in other episodes, but, you know, people tend to have certain feelings one way or the other about pops sure. and their, their presence and their role at conventions. I mean, I don't know. I guess, how do you respond to those? Who are like, oh, there's too many pops. Uh, it's definitely a valid concern. I mean, yeah, we joke all the time. Oh, it's PopCon, you know, 2018, because it, it is happening because like you said, like even the vendors that don't sell pops sell pops. Like they right. have like three, they got in some collection or something like that. So it's just everywhere you look, you see these things. But I mean, if people weren't, interested in them i think it's just really taking things by storm and at the detriment to certain other things like where i might have bought a statue or an action figure of something before i don't because i'm buying the pop and i think it's definitely siphoned money out because i notice that even when we have a show that maybe like everybody else is like oh i did really really bad we still did even if we didn't do phenomenally we did okay and i think that and I talked to the other dealers, the bigger ones, and they're saying the same thing. I think it's just that that's where the interest is right now, and that's where the money is. And then other vendors might see that, and they're like, well, I better start carrying these pops. But it's like it's an all-or-nothing kind of thing. Like, I think you can't sprinkle it in. You either need to have the goods or don't do it at all. And I think that's where they make their mistake. And those are the guys that you see like, oh, I'll take three bucks for it. I just got to get out of it. you know. Um, but it is a thing. They're everywhere. Um, some people hate it, but I think that over the course of this year, people have softened to that mentality a little bit for, I don't know why, maybe I say this all the time. There's a pop for everybody. And maybe that happened to them. They're like, Oh, I wasn't buying any of these things, but you know, then labyrinth came out and I had no choice. And that happens all the time. And I think that so many things have come out that it's just sucked everybody in at this point. And it's just a phenomenon. It really is. And it, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens in the long term. but I think they're around. Yeah. So, I mean, generally speaking, I, you know, this is still something you, you enjoy. Yeah. I joke all the time. Like I, I hate pops. I never want to see them again, but I, obviously I love them. <laughs> I have a huge collection myself, you know, and, uh, you know, you, you could have the best job in the world and you're going to, you're going to hate it true. after a while if you see the same thing all the time. But that is true. But as far as just the, the, the vending the love aspect, wins out. The, I, I, the I do, I do, but it's, it's a little of everything. Like I, I'm not going to lie to you. There's plenty of times I come home and I'm like, you know, I could just be home watching a movie or playing a video game and like, uh, you know, unwinding. Why am I doing this? You know, especially like, you know, if it's not, again, it's really, it's not the most profitable thing in the world at all. You know, I don't care who tells you otherwise. So you really have to love it. And sometimes that love wavers a little bit. But at the end of the day, I think about it. If I stopped doing it, I would really miss seeing the other vendors. Like I said, the traveling is fun. You get to hang out with your friends. And I do enjoy all these things. I'm a collector myself. So I like being in that world, you know. So it might be 20 different things sprinkled in that make you want to keep doing it. But you do want to keep doing it, you know. And, and when you have those shows where, like, 
I really, I got to stop. You know, you take a breather, you just forget about it for a couple weeks and you're ready to do it. I'm pretty burnt out now, but we have two shows left until March, you know, so we're going to have three months. By the time March comes around, we're going to be like chomping at the, all right, let's get on the, you know, so you have to have that break. The people that are doing like 40, 50 shows a year, I don't even understand how that's possible. They, you know, they're just grinding it out and they hate life. You, you know, you got you to gotta know when to dial it back, I guess. Right. I guess the, the last thing I want to ask you is, you know, I mean, really out of everyone I've spoken to on the show, not to sell anyone short, but I think you, you attend the most shows most regularly. Again, out of everyone I've spoken to sure. on the season. So you probably have a pretty comprehensive view. I mean, again, I know you only go so far west, but it's still like all the shows that you go to. You know, you, I think you have a, a pretty comprehensive view of the convention yeah. scene. Uh, you know, I mean, beyond things like more pops and, and the rise of cosplay, like, I don't know, any other trends or, or anything that you're like, this is like, this is what cons are about right now. Like, anything that you've observed? I think observed? they're definitely um, celebrity-based. And mm. that's the probably the most contentious thing for everybody, for whether it's attendees, vendors. You know, so this comes up a lot. There's people like us that, tend to do well at the shows that are very celebrity-based because for whatever reason, those people tend to be the people that are into the more pop culture things. You gotcha. know what I mean? Whereas like a comic vendor, might nobody will shop with them because there's no comic readers going to those shows. Then you have the shows like Baltimore, even C2E2, where they do have a lot of very big guests, but that's not the focus. And you have a lot more comics there. So, you know, that that's the most contentious thing. But what people have to realize is... Um, you know, case in point, at Rhode Island this last weekend, they usually have the really, really big celebrities in our building, and there's a little sky bridge that connects to the main convention center. And they had, like, the still big guests, but, like, maybe not the headliner headliners in there with the vendors. This year, because the Artist Alley people last year were complaining that the uh, traffic from the guests were blocking them and they weren't getting any business and blah, 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 they moved all the guests upstairs and just had vendors on the floor. And people were down 80%, 50%, like they were crying, you know, like, and understandably, because it's a very good show generally. And, you know, that's the thing people don't realize. People can go shopping anywhere. They can go on Amazon, you know, and we do sell unique things and people like to buy them in person, but that's what's bringing the bodies in. So you, you got to realize that and it's like half the people hate it and half the people love it. And I think that's the biggest trend is that everybody's shifting towards that. And it's, it's a weird, delicate balance because if somebody spends $200 to get their autograph and photo with somebody, that's money maybe they don't have to spend with the vendor. But then on the flip side, maybe you're attracting a higher uh, buyer where they have more money and that $200 just means they have that money to then go buy more stuff. So everybody has a different feeling on that. And, hmm. you know, people argue till they're blue in the face. I'm, I'm a firm believer in the uh, having the celebrities there, but having a nice balance of it and that it does attract that better, higher-end buyer. Um, and I directly see it in the sales and what sells. So, you know, I think that's going to be the biggest issue. I, I do think that the, the, the whole industry as a whole has been in, I don't want to say a bubble, but for lack of a better term, I will use that. Um, and it's been bursting a little bit just by oversaturation. And, you know, it's not what it was. You know, you would look forward to the one or two shows you went to every year, all year, because it's all you had. But now, you know, you can wear your costume every weekend if you want. You can go hunt for comics or pops or do whatever every weekend and it becomes desensitizing and you know you can pick and choose now where before you had to go to this show because if you missed it it was a whole nother year right now if you live especially in the tri-state area you can go to 30 shows in 30 weeks you know without even really traveling so 
Well, I appreciate your insight on that and, you know, all of your adventures as a vendor. Is there anything else that, that you wanted to share? No. Not off the top of my head, but no, thank you for having me. I really do. I, I love listening and being a part of these type of things because I like peeling the curtain back. And, and as a listener, this is what I love hearing, especially like, because I don't deal with comics as much. Like, I like hearing the comic guy. So right. I, as, a, as, a, as a fan... I love shows like this, so I really think like you, you've been on a re- really great trajectory. So thank you. Oh no, I well I appreciate all of that, and so you know you and I are going to keep talking because sure. not only are you a vendor, but you are a convention organizer <laughs> yeah. as well. So in the after show, uh, we're going to talk about Undiscovered Realm Comic Con 2019, Ooh, and wait. you and I we only had a very 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 brief conversation before we started recording, so I'm very interested to actually uh, hear what's in yeah, store. Yeah, we're definitely in the initial stages, but we'll talk about that. So cool. Well, thank you again for for being part thank of this. Thank you for having me. Uh, where can people find and follow you? Um, we're always available online at undiscoveredrealm.com. You can follow us on Instagram at undiscoveredrealm, Facebook. Um, you know, we update there constantly with all our new products, and you know, you can get in touch with us day and night. Um, and you can check out our Comic Con coming next year on uh, May fourth and fifth at the Westchester County Center, Undiscovered Realm Comic Con, and we'll probably be in a city near you at a show. So just keep an eye out. Awesome. And if you'll indulge me, you know, we're at the end of the season here, so I'll just offer some uh, parting words uh, before we sign off for the season. You know, in a lot of ways, it's fitting that this Comic Shop podcast spent an entire season on conventions, because after all, if there's been one driving theme on the show, it's community. And you see that community writ large at cons. Like comic shops, comic cons are a place to connect, share our passion, and celebrate the characters and stories that unite us. They're often big and too crowded, and there's a decent chance you'll suffer from con crud when it's over. But there's also something incredibly powerful about being surrounded by so many people who love the same things you do. Thank you to everyone for listening to this season of My Comic Shop History. I hope to see you at a con sometime. And until then, don't be a flat squirrel. (laughs) 